Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Timber Living Log Cabins. For your perfect workspace, living space or hideaway, timberliving.ie. Thanks, Helen. Um, see, someone says here about John Boyne, it's a delight to hear author John Boyne standing up to this woke sensitivity reader mob. Books and their characters need to be able to offend. It's not all standing up to wokeness. Like, I think he's just trying to say, like, let's all be able to kind of say stuff and argue and we don't have to necessarily agree with each other about everything and all that kind of thing. But like, we don't present everything as, oh, he's standing up to the woke mob and all that. I mean, I'd say in many ways he's probably part of the woke mob in other ways then, you know. Um, Few people wondering, would water cremation ashes be safe to scatter at sea? And I did check with Elizabeth on the way out and they actually, um, they are, she says. But you know that there are rules around scattering ashes as well. I think at sea you're okay, but I think uh, on dry land you need to get permission and stuff. So people should look into that before they go scattering ashes willy nilly. Uh, Psychotherapist Richard Hogan, welcome back to the show. How are you? Good, thanks. We're going to talk today about confidence. Uh, what is confidence? You say it's kind of our relationship with ourselves. Yeah, the most report, important relationship we ever have, Brendan. And when I say this to clients, they're always a bit taken back by it, is the relationship you have with yourself. Because we always think about the relationships and the interconnectedness of our lives with others, but we never think about ourselves. Yeah. And it is the most important relationship we're going to ever have in our lives. Because if that's off, it's pervasive. It moves into every other aspect of our life. If we get a good relationship with that voice in our head, if that voice is moving us on, if it's compassionate and it's driving us forward and it's supporting us and it's you know giving us nice advice, we're going to have a much easier walk through life here. That's a bit devastating, though, for a lot of Irish people, because we're now thinking, I think it's my, my most important relationship in my life is with my harshest critic. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And, you know, can I just paint this little picture for, you for a second, Brendan, before yeah. we get into it? What I often say to clients is, like, imagine for a moment, right, you're, you're on a plane traveling over all the deserts in the world, right? And you're tasked, you drop a marble out of that plane and then you're tasked to go down into that desert and find that marble, but you've only got one opportunity to reach into the desert and from the murky depths pluck out the marble, right? But now here where it gets difficult, you're blindfolded. And so off you go, blindfolded, disorientated, and you walk into the deserts, right? And in one effort, you reach down and you pluck out that marble. The chances of that happening? Almost zero. Yeah. That's the chances of your life. Right. And so we all have this miracle. We've all plucked. We've all reached down into the desert and plucked out that marble. We've all come from the darkness into this incredible life, into this incredible light, into this incredible gift that is our life. And how are we going to live that? Are we going to live it in absolute fear of failure? Are we going to live it in, you know, insecurity? Are we going to live it, you know, not reaching out there? Are we going to live it in a way that doesn't allow us to thrive in our lives and see what we're capable of? which is like, you know, really diminished levels of confidence? Or are we going to strive and have the confidence to reach out there? Take that gift, that almost zero, that 400 quadrillion to the power of 150,000 oh and God. make something happen, Brendan. I am so ungrateful. I think we should just start playing <laughs> classical music. I need to leave the studio, walk out and start living. I've, I've, been, I've been wasting it all. Uh, come here. Um, confidence... Uh, I presume as well, like, because we see it all around yeah. us, like guys who have confidence yeah, and yeah, nothing yeah. else going for them do very well. <laughs> do very is, well. It's, it's the key to a successful life, is it? Well, research would say that confidence and competence are quite equally measured. And so if you're okay. confident, people, people get energy from your confidence. People believe in you if you're confident. And I think it's infectious and you like to be around confident people. I think we generally don't want to be around naysayers and people who don't believe anything good will happen and who are like, you know, not willing to give life a go here. 
here and are, are always expecting the worst. Confidence is infectious. Confidence is like, you know, a bit of extroversion as a personality trait. It allows people to come into your life. You're, you're open to things happening. No, you, just be, and again, we'll, let's digress for a second. You just made a kind of a casual uh, equation between confidence and extroversion. Yeah. So is is that is it is the introversion versus extra is shyness the opposite of confidence? Is what no, I'm not not yeah. necessarily. No, and I think we've all we thought traditionally that to be an introvert means you're not confident, but yeah. it's not that at all. No. Actually, you know, and, and kind of modern research would show, show us that to really do well in life, you need a little bit of that as well. You know, to be able to pull back and know when it's time to put yourself forward. Let's say, and so introversion doesn't mean you're not confident. Now it depends. Who, you know, I'd often meet I'd often meet clients. Let's say who'd say to me, "I'm just not confident. I'm an introvert," and so they've told themselves that story, which yeah. would have been a traditional story to be introverted means that you're lacking in confidence and that you can't push yourself forward and that's just a, an error in the way we used to think yeah, absolutely yeah. it's not true because introverts can be very absolutely strong people yeah, yeah. and sure. actually i shouldn't have made that equation between introversion and shyness either because that's not the same thing not, either, not the same sure thing no not. absolutely no yeah, yeah for sure yeah. okay so um i think you you would the kind of thesis you're going to outline today is that it is confidence is about the story we tell ourselves yeah. kind of thing. But are we born confident or is it instilled it's in us? such an important part of the question here. And I would say, you know, research would say there's genetic markers that, pre, you know, allow us to be probably more optimistic in our thinking. But ultimately, in my experience, working with adolescents and adults and families and working in schools and universities for so many years... I would see it as an environmental thing. I think we get our confidence from the community that we come up in, from the systems that we develop in. And that's a really important thing. And I would say fundamentally, when I meet people who lack confidence, Brendan, when I work it back and go through their genogram and figure out their family history and where they came from, I always arrive at the murky world of the early attachments, the John Bowlby stuff of, you know, attachment okay. theory. And yeah. so if those early attachments... Give us, a, give us a quick bit of that. Yeah, John Bowlby came up with this, and it's still very relevant today, 1958, the idea of uh, attachment theory. You're either, you're either developing a secure attachment, avoidant attachment, disorganized, disorganized attachment, or an anxious attachment, and one of those is good, which will allow you to be healthy, and the other ones will impact on how you experience love, how you give love, and how you receive it massively. And that map will be created that map, by the relationship with the primary caregiver. Your primary caregiver, yeah. right? Which is almost like an algorithm. Like, the, you know, when that happens, okay. you know what I mean? You, you write the story of who you are, what you're capable of, and how you, can, how you can be intimate with people. And so it impacts you for the rest of your life. Now, it doesn't mean you're doomed to it unless, uh, until you meet somebody like myself. And then you can get to see what this is, what's influencing me, what's driving me here, what's actually depleting my levels of confidence. Why is it I, I believe that to be in service to people is my own? only value here I really don't like myself when I say yes to everything what's that about Richard I meet that so many you know so much in my in my clinic and I'm tracing it Is back it, yeah oh yeah, yeah massively and I'm tracing it back through the genogram into the family what's history. the genogram it's like you're it's it basically it's a it's, it's a family tree but it's okay. the, if you're looking at intergenerational patterns you're looking at how the family you know the ideas that existed in the family and how those give me a few examples of how that works um, so you do like a family tree and so yeah. you look for patterns so you'd look and you'd look at the labels that you received in the family I'd always look at where you came in the family huge thing I've actually just finished a book for Penguin on this whole idea um, about where you come from the family the love language you experienced the labels that you told yourself all of this impacts on your ability to thrive in the world and so those labels I always say don't predict the future they write them so when you received let's say Richard's lazy Richard's this this you know whoever it is that's telling you the label of who you are that is a that is a predictor of how things are going to be 
And school then is obviously school is very important huge. too. Is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, massively important because it's interesting, you know, it's, and I think in an Irish context as well, I went to America a couple of years ago on a Fulbright looking at um, self inclusion, ideas about how, how we come to talk to ourselves. And I teach in DCU at times um, uh, on the teacher training program there about how to think about the students that you work with. And I'd often start off in DCU by saying to the students, on the right hand side, write all the negative labels you received through your education system and all the positive ones. And so on the right hand side, it's very dense with <laughs> negative things, right? Very dense. And on the left hand side, they're kind of going, well, what are the things that I heard that were quite positive? And when I went to America, I did the exact same exercise. I was really struck. I wasn't expecting this at all. And I said to this American uh, class in Antioch University, Seattle, can you write down on the right hand side all the negative things you received and on the left hand side all the positive things received? They were like, what do you mean by negative things? Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, what do you mean? They're like, what do you mean by the negative things? And I was like, oh, you know, you're lazy, you're not as good as your sibling, you're stupid, you're this, all the stuff that I'd hear in an Irish context. They're like, well, no, we don't. We, I, no, okay. I didn't hear those things. So by their metrics, we're brutalizing our children. In, well, in we were traditionally, we, were, we yeah. traditionally were, I think we're better, but we traditionally were. And, and that's still in the system for sure, Brendan. You know, and it's always about a teacher's competency. When they label a student, it's always about their competency, not the student. And, and those little, little comments as well, they might just be sometimes a comment that the person who made it might forget and everything. Can they have a big effect on they children? They are yeah? the things that write the story in your head. That's the relationship yeah. I'm talking to you about. That's what I get in there and disrupt. You know, that, that's not a true paradigm. That's somebody's lack of competence. When that teacher said to you, that's not dyslexia that's pure stupidity as I heard recently someone said to me the teacher said this to them I'm like well that's their competency that's not actually you but you have to be able to understand that because we all that that makes sense to us because we're hardwired for negativity so if you say something negative to me that makes sense in my head because I'm I'm consumed by a threat and so I'm really trying to feed on that and so we're we generally accept the negative things and we generally kind of see the positive things as like you know well they're only saying that to make me feel better or they're only saying that because they're my my parent or whatever yeah. we don't accept those things but we accept the negative things because we're hardwired for so it. that is natural that's not you don't that's need to beat ourselves up about no, that one but, yeah but we yeah. need to get in and disrupt it though this is yeah. what I'm saying to you that voice that's in there is only a narrative. It's only a story that you're telling yourself about who you are. And we can all be confident. And this is the key, I would say. It's such an important message. We can all be confident in our lives. We can all thrive in our lives. And we can all get in there and disrupt those paradigms that we hold about ourselves that hold us back. And a huge thing that I see, Brendan, as an as a intervention that we have is that we're so fearful, right? We're so fearful of failure, of rejection, that we constantly reject ourselves. We don't do the thing we want to do. We avoid the okay. thing that we want to do. So we constantly... So I'm going to get in there first. I'm basically. going to get in there first so that I don't have to have that fall. If I believe something good can happen and if it doesn't work out, that's a striking yeah. fall. So if I stay down here and all this murky awfulness, at least I don't have to fall down. But I'm saying to the client, but you're hurt. You're, you're falling down all the time. You're in there. There's no chance of you to ever thrive here because you're punishing yourself all the time with this way of thinking. So we need to take more risks, yeah? Absolutely. Mm. As T.S. Eliot says, dare disturb your universe. So we'll stick with kids for a second just before we move on to maybe adults, right? The the thing is, you can't shield the kids either from... This is the biggest problem. ...any comment or, you know, everything, yeah. This is the biggest... This is the biggest obstacle to developing resilience in your children. And resilience is like how they talk to themselves and the tools that they have. That's their confidence. And I I, I give talks on this all the time to parents. I go around talking to parents all the time about this. And I say, you know, when you remove obstacles from your child, whose needs are you meeting? Right. And the analogy I always give 
is that when you were teaching your children to cross the road, Brendan, as I did with my, my daughters, what did you do? You walked down to the, the down to the, the, the crossing, right? And you talked to them about the lights, you pressed the light, you talked to them about the cars, right? Think of that as a metaphor for adversity, right? You would never say to your children, I'll always be here, don't worry about the cars. <laughs> I'll always be here to hold your hand. Yeah. And so when they come with problems, we have to think of that analogy. I can't solve this for them. I have to be with them, be by their side, not on it. I have to stand with them and help them and talk to them and ask them some questions that might help them towards better logic and better thinking. But I'm not going to jump in there because dad's the hero. When I go down to the school and say, my daughter can't experience this or you have to play my son on the game. I'm now I'm, I'm, by, I'm on their side. I'm like a child also. And I'm also becoming victimized by the bully or whatever's happening in their school. I'm also anxious if they're presenting anxiety to me. You have to stand in a much more positive position, which can be very counterintuitive to a parent because your desire, of course, comes from goodness to fix the problem. And particularly if you're a man, fix the problem. Here's A and there's B and then C happens. And so I'll just do that. And so if you want that, this is what happens. So it's hard to pull back. But sometimes the greatest gift is pulling back. It's like the line I always have in my head. I always have poetry going on in my head around these ideas is what Ivan Boland says. If I diminish the grief, if I, yeah, if I diminish the grief, I diminish the gift. Mm. So the grief is learning the skills. You know, and so we all yeah. have to experience it. So okay. where do we get the, this is what I'd love to say to your, your, your listeners, where do we get the unrealistic expectation that our children should never experience any adversity? Okay. Where do we get that experience from? And that idea. Yeah, are we overcompensating for? Ourselves, over, yeah, yeah. our experience, experience, yeah. yeah. So listen, um, okay, so you don't want to, you don't want to fix everything for them. You don't want to tell them when they come back crying about a mean comment. No, 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 you're fantastic. That's yeah. So if you have a kid that you feel is going down a bad road with regard to confidence in their story and all that, what's the best way to intervene there and kind of try and instill some confidence? Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely, is helping them to <coughs> critically evaluate what's happening. You'll hear a child who, you know, it's amazing, you have three daughters and you can hear how they talk to each other, you know, and, and you can hear them talking to themselves. And so they experience the same thing and they process it differently. And so one, one, one child might think, why did that always happen to me? Another child just thinks, oh, that, that was bad yesterday, tomorrow will be better, right? So one child mm-hmm. is a better way of thinking and one child... You know, has a very negative way of processing that. And so what I'd say to parents is, this is what happens to a child. I did a huge bit of research on this around, uh, around confidence in 2018 when I was writing a, a book called Parenting the Screenager. And what I noticed when I was interviewing these students, a kid who lacks confidence selectively abstracts a small event, right? So mm-hmm. they miss the penalty or a friend, they have a fight with their friend or, uh, you know, their friends go to a party and don't invite them. Something happens in our mom and dad have an argument with them. Something small happens and it becomes what we'd say a gestalt, the whole. So I miss the penalty. Okay. I'm no good at football. Yeah. I had an argument with Brendan. No one likes me. Yeah. All right. And so what you have to do is help your children out of that selective abstraction in their thinking because it's such an easy thing to fall into. And so kids who are confident say, I miss the penalty. I'll get it next time. Yeah. Yesterday felt bad. It's back to tomorrow. S- it's I'll back, be better. Yeah, it's back to Seligman, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. This is the, it's just now. It's not permanent. hundred. It's not me. It's it's, it's not personal. Uh, absolutely. And what, there's a third one as well, but yeah, it's roughly yeah. that. No, anyway. but that's yeah. that's exactly it. That we help our kids not to internally attribute everything. That there's external attribution here. You missed the penalty because you know it's pretty challenging. I didn't get a H one in my exam because that exam was pretty tough. It's not because I'm stupid or I'm not yeah, okay. that clever. Okay. It's a okay. really important skill to give your kids to help them to think, uh, you know, more critically, to help them to think more positively about their life. Yeah, 
And the, so they'll almost be a bit more detached from the slings and arrows as well. Oh, then, like, they, well, they'll know, be immune to like the slings and arrows. Stuff happens. Like, yeah, that's yeah. that's normal. I expect that. Yeah. See, so when we wrap them in cotton wool and we send them out, okay. and then yeah, yeah, they yeah. don't get to something or they don't get picked for the play or they're told that their voice isn't actually good enough, they're like... I've been light profoundly here, right? And this is a profound reality to me. I have to compromise. What the hell is that about? <laughs> I've been told all my life that I get everything I want. Yeah. You know, and I meet that in couples therapy all the time. And it's like, you know, it's, we have to self set our kids up for reality. We have to set them up for being able to understand that at times in life, you won't get what you want. I don't get everything I want for sure. I've fallen short in many pursuits that I've gone for, but I've, I've reframed those moments as learning moments. So they're not failures. I learned massively from those. So when I did ex- succeed in something, that was all of that stuff that I didn't get at that time fed into that success. And so you're reframing, which is a key word mm. in building confidence. You're reframing because there's so much obstacles, so many things that we won't fall, that we won't land on and that we won't succeed at, that you have to understand, well, that's just a part of like the Dyson thing, 140, whatever, Hoover's, you know, to get to the right one. Yeah. If you're constantly okay. looking for failure and you're fearful of failure, you will never set out a life. Okay, so now, adults, where these narratives are, are far more uh, ingrained in everything. How do we change the story we're telling ourselves? How do we change that voice? Yeah, no, and I hear clients and and say, how long have you been thinking that? Right, they'd say, about 35 (laughs) years, Richard. (laughs) Well, that's a a seriously entrenched algorithm. It's like, you know, if you've been looking at one video for a long time, that's what you expect, right? And it's like, okay, well, we got to get in there and disrupt it. And as I've always said, you know, you have about 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day and that you rerun those thoughts all the time. We're always looking for what's familiar. We're always looking for what we've thought before because our brain translates that as, well, we haven't died because of those thoughts. And so that's pretty good. And so keep those thoughts going, but they're not serving you. So you get in there and you disrupt them. We can all be positive in our thinking. And I do this all the time with clients and they come back to me and say, well, that was so profound. I've begun to think in much more positive patterns. And what I do is just disrupt the thinking and say, right, what would you like to think about? What is it you think? What's the pattern that's holding you back? You know, I have to be, I have to say yes for people to value me. Right. And I go, okay, how's that not working for you? I say yes to everything. I hate myself and I hate people who position me like this. So I'm actually quite resentful of people yeah. and I'm resentful of myself and, and my parents are elderly and I have to do everything for them because my siblings lump it on me and then my partner lumps it on me and now the kids are lumping it on me. So I'm absolutely overwhelmed by this. and say, okay, let's, dis- let's dismantle that pa- uh, paradigm and let's think, what would be a healthier way to think? Well, I'd love to think that I can say no to people. Well, you're going to have to get comfortable with people's discomfort because when you say no to people, they generally want you to say yes to them. Right. And I work, I do this a lot now with really talented women in my clinic. And I'd say, well, let's write down the paradigm that you'd like to say. I'd like to say no to things that I know that aren't beneficial to me. It's not about being selfish, but I know it's things I can't actually do burn me out. I take on too much and I'd say, okay, let's start bringing that idea in. Now, so over the next two weeks, when you don't want to do something, be more authentic and actually start to say no to it. And it's very interesting. So is confidence actually a habit in a way that we, we have to force it initially? Yeah. If we've been running a paradigm for a long, if we've been running a, a certain way that hasn't been helpful for us and has caused us a lot of suffering, we have to get intentionally in there and disrupt it, right? And that the only way that's going to happen okay. is because 90% of our thoughts are what we thought yesterday. So we're not, that's not going to happen without intentionality. And so it's like going for a run, you know, you do that, you don't, you're not just down, running on the road kind of going, oh my God, how, how come I'm going for a run? You were intentional. And so your thinking patterns are just habits. Think your thoughts aren't facts. You're just running some old neural circuit loop going around and around and around. You thought them for years and years and years. Yeah. You could see it through an MRI. I mean, it's fascinating stuff, but you can also get in there and disrupt it. 
Okay, so you have to force yourself to act like a different person initially. You have to get the paradigms that you, because your thinking will impact on your behavior, and that'll be then, then that will be impacting how you view yourself because of your actions, and all of that then will become the whole of as how you talk to yourself. So your thinking is the fundamental thing first. Get that right first. That's why people always kind of like you know don't succeed in an endeavor. They don't get the thinking right first, and so it all falls back. Clients often say to me, you know. It was brilliant for two weeks, Richard, but then you wore off, right? And I went back yeah. into my old patterns. I was like, well, they wouldn't even say that. I thought they'd say, and then you wore off. And then I started thinking the way, I was like, well, that's just the old pattern is powerful. And you have to be more intentional when it creeps in. Okay. You got to hear it and listen to it. The more you're aware of it, the less you're going to do it unconsciously. So not easy, but can it's be not done. not easy, no. Um, do we wear our confidence publicly as well, physically and stuff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, so, it's so fascinating to see as a, as a clinician. Clients come in to me and you can see them sitting there, shoulders shrugged, head down. They might even be picking like their nail or whatever. And it's just like if I was trying to, you know, if I was trying to draw or like animate lack of confidence, they're absolutely sitting there and presenting that analogically, we'd say, their body language. And what I'd notice over a couple of weeks of working on confidence, pulling out the paradigms, bringing in new paradigms and intentionally trying to disrupt them, at times falling back on them, you'd see their confidence change. You'd see how they sit, how they manifest themselves, how they present themselves to the world. A bit more shoulders back, standing straight up, you know. You, you can see it a mile away, you know. And, it's, and, yeah. and I'd even point it out to them. I'd say, it's incredible to see you sitting like this. But can we, so should we be trying to do that from the outside yeah, in as well? Absolutely, like, yeah. yeah. How you present, how you stand, how you, you know, if you're slugged over like that, it's how yeah. you feel. And it's like a, absolutely one of the fundamental things is change how you, how you physically, how you're presenting yourself. Okay. What about um, being more confident socially? Can people work on that? Absolutely. This is a really key thing. I, I mm -hmm. give talks in the, in the corporate space all the time about public speaking and that, which is one of the big fears, you know. It's the Jerry Seinfeld joke. It's like the guy at the funeral in the casket is saying, at least I'm not the guy giving the eulogy, right? It's the old joke about, like, your, our biggest fear is to talking, not death, yeah, yeah. But, to <laughs> but talking, right? And it's like, yeah, of course, you can always push it. And, you, and it's not even like you should. It's like it's really necessary to push yourself because that builds your confidence. The more you do, the more you're confident, you know what okay. I mean? The, the less you do, you, I mean, I, I meet so many people who are anxious and they've shrunk their life down to their bedroom. Mm. That's a real lack of confidence in themselves to manage the world. And so all, they, all they're living in is the bedroom. So they believe that they can manage that little space is manageable. You got you to gotta tear that down because that's so unhealthy for a child to live like that or an adult to live like that. You got to go out there and push yourself. Bit of discomfort. I'm, I'm always trying to bring a bit of discomfort into my kids' lives so that they can see, God, I can manage that. Okay. So you're immunizing, you know, and you're learning about yourself. I can actually public speak. I can public. That's no problem. I can talk. I, I can stand up and talk. How do I feel after I public speak? Let's say I meet this a lot in the corporate space. The people wouldn't give their ideas or, you know, colleagues won't give their ideas because they're fearful of Brendan's much more confident than I. Brendan's much more intelligent than I am. And how do you feel when you keep your thoughts yourself and you don't present them to your colleagues? Well, I think I'm weak. I don't think I lack confidence. So what will happen when you present the ideas? How will you speak to yourself? I can do that. Mm. So socially, I can do that. I can stand in a room and talk to people. If I find that hard, go out there and, and try it and see what happens. The more you push yourself, the more you disturb your universe, the more you're immunized to all the stuff that you're fearful of, the more confident you get. Okay. And like somebody who, say, in the social situation, I was against the work situation. Yeah. Somebody who, who's feeling that, they need to keep trying to get out there. Yeah. Uh, even though the first time they do it, like... 
it might be kind of devastating for them. Yeah, for sure. Completely I'd say, first of all, yeah. Well, what's moment, the worst yeah. that can happen, right? Yeah. People can go, Jesus. Embarrassment yeah, that, shame. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, social yeah. rejection, yeah. which physically hurts, right? So yeah. it's okay. like, you know, that Richard Hogan, that guy's weird. You know what I mean? He, could, he didn't even hear what he was talking about there. What the hell was that about, right? He was yeah. so awkward in the conversation. Yeah. So I'd work, I'd work out with clients. What's the worst thing that can happen in this endeavor of yours? That. How bad is that? You know, how, how bad is that really? What's worse than that? Well, not reaching out, not going out there, not trying to do it. Well, then let's try it. And of course, all of our communication isn't perfect and we don't have perfect conversations and we all have awkward moments with people at times. And so it's like, okay, that's not the worst thing that can happen to us. Let's actually try to give it a go and go out there and and, and actually test ourselves and see, are we capable of this? And I, I do this work massively in the clinic. And people, after a couple of weeks, clients will always say to me, I'm so much more in myself than I ever was because I pushed myself a little bit. I can see that I can do it. It's not perfect, but I can do it. I can go into a social engagement and talk to people. So people will see change quite quickly if they Very try quickly, and disrupt themselves. If you disrupt yeah. it. And I suppose that's where I feel psychotherapy sometimes lets clients down. I think sometimes it might be too trauma-based and, uh, you know, keep, keep somebody in the powerlessness position, whereas you do need a roadmap out of it and you do need to kind of push, okay, we've all come from mess, we've all come from to, different, to you know, varying degrees of trauma and very negative experiences, but we can all thrive through that and we have to have a roadmap out of that towards challenging ourselves to building our resilience, to building our confidence. That's what I think is really missing maybe and what's so crucial. Okay, so you think that focus on what happened to you? Can be too disempowering. I I think it's a fundamental first start for sure. I think you have to figure out all of this stuff, your primary caregiver, where you came in the family, all those labels, but you can't stay there. You have to move out of those. It's that Carl Jung, you know, really powerful idea. You're not what happened to you. Mm. you're what you choose to become and that's you mentioned sorry you mentioned earlier that um you do a lot of work with like really intelligent women having to stop them from saying yes to everything and all that do men tend to be more confident maybe often without justification than well yeah i think i think there's probably um a confidence issue there for women for sure i think comes from like hundreds and thousands of years of like negative social construction about what they're capable of and i think men probably are insecure also but they mightn't let it get in their way as much as maybe women do in my experience and there was a hewlett packard internal study there a couple of years ago that showed that men will go for a job if they only have 60 percent of the requirements whereas women will only go if they've got 100% of the requirements. And that's a really good bit of data to show us there, there might be a lack of confidence there and that whereas men might, uh, you know, just give it a go and give it a shot, whereas women might actually internalise it and have that. And I meet that paradigm at all. Who am I to go for this, you know? And, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and that's a very negative thing that we need to help, you know, um, all of us to think more positively so that we don't allow ourselves to feel that, that we're, uh, you know, powerless in the situation. What about in dating? I would, like that is an area where you have to get okay with rejection, rejection. isn't it? And, and well, I don't know about you, Brendan. Rejection but, uh, literally, yeah, physically yeah. hurts. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Yeah. We were all rejected in relationships, right? We were all broken up with. We were all, we all had very negative experiences, right? And if we're going to go out there and launch out there romantically, we have to have a bit of courage there. Mm. We have to be we have to be willing to accept that this will not be a perfect endeavor and this will more than likely not end perfectly. And when we're starting off, let's say, in our early romantic life, we have to be willing to put ourselves out there and for that to be rejected and said, no, you know what, you're not for me. Thank you very much. That's that hurts. There's no doubt about it. But we have to be able to have that courage to do it. And that takes confidence. Yeah. A little bit of humiliation passes, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But it, it humbles us, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's good right, for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, and it helps you when you meet the, when you meet the person that you settle down with. It gives you all that really great important data. That's why those relationships didn't work because I was I was working through that to get here. So this guy, right? I did a master's at thirty nine. One day I got negative feedback from my supervisor. Yeah. I went home and lost it. I'm not good enough. I should leave. I'm yeah. useless. The next day I went back in. I was having coffee with my classmates. They'd all received negative feedback from the same person. They were laughing about it. It made me realise it was the same as everyone. I wasn't stupid. Thank God I went back in yeah. and talked to them. Isn't that a great oh, story? Absolutely. Like that? Yeah. That, is a, that is what I'm talking about, selective abstract. You take out that little result and then it becomes this massive thing, I'm stupid. Mm. We have to get in there and disrupt that kind of thinking. And also, like, that, that, that person, it was the end of the world, like, and then suddenly it moved on, like, they just went, <laughs> exactly. didn't talk to the others. Like, yeah, yeah, I'd say they'd that. forgotten how they were feeling, like, uh, they, hours uh, beforehand. Absolutely, and that's why it's really important to have a good community around you and good feedback around you, because we do have a tendency to think like that. And when we see other people and how they react, it changes how we talk to ourselves. Yeah. Brendan, my husband always says no. He says it's easier to change a no into a yes than a yes into a no. That's from Mary. You see, do Irish people kind of have a safety zone of like a default no to life? Really? I think like, so. Because then you can't. There's get, a lot of fatalistic you, thinking in the yeah. Irish psyche. Yeah. You know, this won't work out. So then just say no. It's like a it's like an intervention. This is going to turn to crap here. So let's just say no to before it gets to, to the inevitable awfulness here. Yes. You know what I mean? And yes. so it's like, well, then you're not thriving in life when you're like that. Yeah. You yeah. know, and you and should get too thriving. high in yourself. You, like, yeah, exactly. Get, well, don't have notions, Brendan. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, don't yeah, get yeah, notions yeah, there because we'll knock you down. Okay, what's the one thing so uh, you'd say to people? The one thing I would say if I was giving one little, one kernel, little thing, yeah. yeah. Listen to the voice in your head, how it talks. Is it yeah. supporting you? Yeah. Is it a, dis- a despot? You know, is it saying no? Don't do that, Brendan. You can't do that. That's not for you. That's for more intelligent people. You know, that's for better people. <laughs> is it like that? And it's like, if it's like that, you've got to get in there and disrupt it because that's the marble, that's the gift, being tainted by all this negativity. Everything comes out of that relationship, Brendan. That relationship that you have with the voice up there, as you said there very funnily at the start, you know, you're, you're asking me to have a better relationship with my worst critic. It's like you've got to get up there and say, what, why, is, why okay. is that voice your worst critic? Okay, so stop and actively listen because a lot of us are taking it for granted. Like We're that, taking it for granted as truth. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like a okay. thought pattern. Okay, okay. Uh, Richard Hogan, uh, thank you very much. Richard is, of course, Clinical Director of the Therapy Institute. Talk to you soon, Richard. Thanks, Brendan. Okay, break. Email brendan at rte.ie.